I want to jump right in into what we're in the last couple of weeks. We're calling it Re- Resurrection Stories. Resurrection Stories. And um, why we're doing this is Easter sometimes just happens and then we let it go. But we wanted to take a few weeks, a couple of weeks post-Easter, just to reflect on some of the things that actually also happened that day and uh, unpack that a little bit uh, for ourselves. And so that's, that's what we're doing. And I want to jump into the same chapter of Scripture we were in last week, Luke chapter 24. And um, last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, you can maybe jump, in, jump onto our website or iTunes and listen to last week's message. We had gone through one resurrection story, which was the story of uh, two people heading out to Emmaus. It's traditionally called the road to Emmaus. These two people are leaving Jerusalem distraught because they're confused with what's happened with the death of Christ, not really just hearing rumors of the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, Jesus, they meet Jesus on the road and they encounter Jesus, and they recognize who Jesus is in that, in that, uh, that not that walk, but when they come and sit down together uh, for a meal, and as they invite Jesus into their home. And it's such a beautiful story as they discover who Jesus is, and then run back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples, like, hey, he's really alive. It's not just a rumor. This is the real deal. I, I, you know, our hearts were burning when he, he shared the scriptures with us, and we recognized him when he broke the bread with us. This is amazing. And so that's where we left off last week. But the day continues. Luke 24 continues, and this resurrection day continues. And uh, what I want to do today is kind of take the next scene of the story, this other resurrection story that follows that. And so we're going to be following that uh, with the scripture because the day's not over. The excitement is still high. The chaos is still in motion. And here's this next scene, verse 36 in Luke 24. And you can read it off the screen uh, with me as we'll just kind of go piece by piece here. So while they are still talking about this, so here they are. These two people run back to Jerusalem, uh, huddle in a room with the disciples. They're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. While they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. So as they're doing this, as they're talking, it's like Jesus isn't finished showing up. He doesn't just show up once. He shows up again. In fact, there's multiple times where he shows up, and we read about it in the book of Acts, and we hear the Apostle Paul say that he, he showed himself to up to 500 people before he ascended into heaven. And so Jesus keeps showing up, and he stands among them, kind of unannounced, just kind of right there in that moment, and he says, peace be with you. And we'll come back to the peace part in a moment. But I want to continue with the story because it's really amazing how this unfolds. They are startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost, like they wouldn't get it yet. But anyways, here's the thing. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and blood's blood as you see I have. And we'll continue to the next one. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still, while, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it right in their presence. I love that. It's so amazing. And so here is this, this moment of clarity for the disciples. Jesus shows up. It's proof. It's evidence. He's right there in front of them, but they're still afraid. They're still processing this, right? I mean, you can imagine if you go back to that moment, the the chaos and confusion and ideas that are running through your mind. And so here he is. They're still processing this. They're still questioning this. They're like, is this a ghost? Because in their minds, you got to understand this. They had confusion, 
Now Jesus shows them his hands, shows them his feet, shows them his body, but they're in a moment of confusion and actually fear and wondering what is going on here. And here's their dilemma. Because as they're looking at Jesus, they're asking the question, I think, what kind of body is this? Like, how did Jesus just show up? So think about it. He just showed up, right? How did Jesus just show up? The two that ran back from Emmaus, Jesus disappeared. And now they're in this room and Jesus just shows up. So there, I think this dilemma is like, what kind of body does Jesus have? What category do I put this in, in my brain? Like, what is going on in this moment? And that's a dilemma because they already believed in resurrection, but like at the end, that this promise within their faith in Judaism was God would bring resurrection, God would, would bring a new creation, there was a wholeness and a restoration that would take place, but that was reserved for the end. And yet, it seems like God was doing something that he promised in the end right now in that day, that Jesus has this resurrected body that they have no category for because they've never seen anything like that or experienced anything like that. And it seems as though the promised resurrection that was for the end, Jesus went first that day. Jesus went first. He demonstrates resurrection in that moment. And, and if you, if you want to get your, your mind around it, it's as though his body is now ready for earth and heaven. It's as though his body is ready, prepared, transformed for earth and heaven. Because as we read the scriptures, we, and I've drawn this in circles before on the screen if you've been with us, this idea that heaven and earth exist simultaneously. God's space and our space. We pray the prayer, right? Lord, our Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's space, our space. You know, maybe you've read books when you were a kid that makes you think like heaven is 700 billion miles away, but heaven and earth exist at the same moment, the same time. God exists in heaven. We exist in earth. And we pray that what God thinks and dreams and loves and pursues and values in heaven would take place on earth. That's the kingdom prayer in Matthew 6. And Jesus' body is now a body that's ready for heaven and earth. That makes, now that, that makes the appearances make sense. Like, how did he disappear and appear? How did he ascend? There's a moment that, that, you know, at the end of Luke 24, and we read it in Acts as well, where Jesus ascends into heaven. He doesn't ascend like 7,000 miles away. He, is, he goes into God's space. Our bodies aren't ready for that. His body is ready for that. And they have no category for that. They, don't, they can't comprehend that. And here's the amazing thing. And here's the promise to all of us when we consider resurrection. If this happened to Jesus and Jesus went first, resurrection promise is available for all of us. When God says one day everything will be made new, and we wonder how will we exist with God in eternity. Jesus showed us in that moment what that looks like. But here's the challenge of the gospel. And N.T. Wright says this, that the challenge of the gospel is to adjust our minds to the power of resurrection. So there's, here's these disciples. What category do I put this in? How can I wrap my brain 
around what is taking place right in front of me. And you see it in verse 41 as they say this. They, they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. He's right in front of them. Is this a ghost? Jesus, let me show you my hands and feet. They still did not believe Yet they had joy and amazement. It's like their emotions are running like up and down and crazy, and, right? They, in one moment they don't believe, in one moment there's joy and amazement. Is he a ghost? Is he real? What's the deal? What, that rhymed. I didn't mean that for that to happen, but, but that's the thing, right? And so it's this, this moment of what category do I put this in? Eugene Peterson says this about the resurrection. He says, it is not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder to another. It is very, it's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged, and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. So in this moment, they are caught off guard. They don't know what to think, and their sense of wonder just erupts because they're caught off guard in the moment. And Jesus shows up, and he's not just there in spirit. He's not just a presence. He's not just there in like as a hologram kind of way. He's like he's, he's as real as the ground that they're standing on, and yet he's as different as new creation and resurrection at the same time. And that's just an amazing piece of that. And just to be clear, Jesus says, can I have some food? Holograms can't eat food, right? Can I have some food? Just like spirits can't eat food. Give me some food. And they give him fish that they've been cooking. And Jesus eats it in the moment. And it doesn't fall on the ground. It goes in his stomach. Right? And so he's like, let me make this real for you. So Jesus, in this part, in this kind of just later on in the day of the resurrection, he's making sure that they understand the reality of the resurrection, what resurrection meant, what his resurrection body was in this amazing moment that just took place. But he also wants to make them understand not just the reality of the resurrection, the fulfillment of the resurrection, and what the resurrection fulfilled in God's amazing story that we read throughout the scriptures. So verse 44, uh, the story continues. He says to them, Hey, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Because he's responding. Like they, again, don't have a category for this. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so what's happening here, Jesus is saying, okay, everything that has happened in the last few days, this shouldn't surprise you. We've talked about this. We've walked through this. I've alluded to this many times. In fact, it's been, always been part of God's plan. If you go back to the, to the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, if you look into some of the things that the prophets said and talked about and foretold, if you, if you read um, some of the Psalms and the yearnings and the prayers, if you look at Isaiah, and you know, yes, the beginning of Isaiah talks about this amazing, powerful Messiah, but the second half of Isaiah talks about a suffering Messiah. This was in the story. This was in the story, and it's been fulfilled in the last few days. Eugene Peterson says, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. It's all fulfilled. That's how he translates that verse. And see, even last week when we looked at the story of these people that walked to Emmaus, what did Jesus do? He's walking with them. He joins them. They're confused. He goes back into the story. It's like, let me tell you from Moses and the prophets. Let me fill you into this story. 
And they remembered after. They're like, weren't our hearts burning when he described this to us? So Jesus reveals this in this way, but let's get this straight. It's the only story he works out of. Jesus works out works everything out, and his whole life is worked out of only one story, God's story, the story that's told in the whole grand part of Scripture. And it's so important for us, for us to understand the reality of the resurrection, the fulfillment of the resurrection. But here's how it challenges me, and maybe it might challenge you, depending where you are in your spiritual journey. And it's this. If Jesus rose from the dead, if this really happened, then you and I need to deal with everything God has said. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, if this is true, I mean, this thing I don't have a category for that now is very visible right in front of me that we know that happened, if this is true, then everything God said is important to me. Then everything God has said or taught or invited me into, I need to give some real weight to this, right? But this isn't, we don't work like this in our society, right? In our culture, it's like this. You see something on Facebook, you press like, or haha, or wow, or I'm sad, or I'm angry, right? Like, kind of like, so when you see something presented, somebody posts an article and it's not your political view, you're like, I'm mad. Someone posts an article that is your political view, you're like, love, 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 I love that, right? So, so you agree to things or you disagree to things, right? You like something or you dislike something. And someone tells you something and you're like, I don't agree with that, I don't like that, so it's not my opinion, so, right? That's how we function in culture. I like it or I dislike it. I agree with it or I disagree with it. Or here's another one. This makes me feel good, so I'm going to embrace it. This makes me feel bad, so I'm not going to embrace it. But at any moment, do we actually stop and say, is this true? Is this true? Because who cares if I like it or not? And who cares if I disagree with it or agree with it? And it really doesn't matter if it makes me feel good in the moment. I have to ask the question, is this true? And the resurrection, when we see the full force of it in this moment, when Jesus shows them his hands and feet and he eats this fish with them and he goes back into the scriptures, the real question is, if the resurrection is real, if Jesus really did um, rise from the dead, will I follow everything he has said? Because if it's true, then I, I need to listen to him a little differently, right? I need to pay attention a little differently. I can't respond like I respond on social media. Well, you can, but you're just either dismissing it or not. And you might embrace it because you like it, but that's not the point. The point is, is it true? And if it's true, will we follow everything he said? Will we embrace everything he said? Will we fall into alignment with his heart and purpose? And so Jesus, after he he brings this about, he, he begins to fill in the gaps for the disciples. In verse 45 to 48, Jesus says this. Then he, I love this line. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. It's going beyond Israel. Beginning at Jerusalem. And then he says, you are witnesses of these things. You have seen this take place right in front of you. And I love that first line. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. If you were here last week, I don't want you to associate this moment with like when Jesus broke the bread and all of a sudden they like, oh, this is Jesus. This is more like an insightful opening. 
This is more like Jesus filling in the gaps. This is more like Jesus helping them understand the greater story. It's the difference from knowing something and actually understanding something, right? My son, um, just this week, uh, he found himself in a little bit of a, of a dilemma with his financial practices. I asked him if I can share this story so you can verify it. Like when I, I share other, kid, other stories of my kids, you can always verify it with them. So, um, so, so Andrew, Andrew uh, I was driving him somewhere. He's like, Dad, I, I got to tell you something. Something happened. I'm like, what? And I'll tell you why I'm saying this in a moment. So he has his budget now for himself and how much money he, sh- he should spend every week. But when he opened up a bank account, they gave him a bank card, right? So we're like, maybe you shouldn't keep the bank card on you. Probably not the best thing in the world. And so he stopped keeping the bank card on him and kept cash for the week. And Marlene is applauding right now. Yes, financial peace practice. So <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Um, and so, so uh, but he, he went out and uh, on, his, on his walk home, he didn't have cash on him. And he's like, uh, he told me the day later, he's like, Dad, I got to tell you, like, I memorized my, I don't know, some number in the back of my card, and I put it on my app right away, and I went to McDonald's, and I bought a Flurry. <laughs> McFlurry, McFlurry. So I'm like, oh, that's okay, Andrew. That, that's, that's good you recognize that, right, in that moment. And so it was interesting because he's telling me really honestly in this, but I want to just, like, take you back a few months because what happened in the last few weeks is that together, you know, just us and my wife and I and him, and we're looking, we just looked at his bank account, and we're like, hey, so how much money do you think you spent in the last three months? just said a number. And so we're like, why don't we calculate everything you've spent on your card in the last three months? So we're like adding and 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 adding. <laughs> and we're like, and all of a sudden his eyes opened up. He's like, I spent that much money in three months on muffins at school. Like, what are, you know, like, did I spend that much? And, and it was this moment of revelation is like, okay. And I mean, we've been like, as a family, like we even did the jar thing, you know, like you give and you save and you spend and visual from like, you know, five years old. But it, it didn't matter how much, it doesn't matter sometimes how much we know, right? It matters if we understand and we get something. And it was great just to walk through that. And really, it's not a big deal that, you know, we buy a McFlurry at McDonald's. But it was this moment of understanding like, oh, I could know stuff, but do I understand it? I could know some information, I could know some principles, I could know some history, but do I really, really understand it? And sometimes we need something to open up our minds to understanding that. And here in this moment, Jesus opens up their mind, and it's different than a supernatural opening. It's different than like some revelation, like, oh, God just kind of went in their brain and said, believe this, believe that, fix this, this. That's not what Jesus did. He opened up their mind to the scriptures, and he began to fill in the gaps of their missing understanding. He began to fill in the gaps from the prophets and fill in the gaps from Moses and fill in the gaps from the Psalms and fill in the gaps from all the things that that he had taught them over the last three years and fill in the gaps with the moments that they had in prayer and discussion. And he started to put all these pieces together and he opened up their mind to really grasp the story of the scriptures in that moment. And he gave them a framework for how to read and interpret the Bible, for how to read and interpret God's story that, that, they, that they still needed. Right? Eugene Peterson, he, he, um, he translates it this way. He, he opens their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles in this way. Now, if you really know something about the Bible, you know that they, didn't, they, weren't, holding, they weren't holding the Bible in the first century. 
just a translation to help us understand for us what that means. But, but they weren't holding a Bible in that moment, but there was still a biblical story in their scriptures that they understood and followed and believed in and were rooted in. And so he opened up their minds and how to read the scriptures in this way. How to read the scriptures being rooted in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. How to read the scriptures now with this amazing, big, culminating event of Jesus' death and resurrection that took place. How to read the scriptures in that way. How to read the scriptures in now this big, huge, global scope of mission. It's not just about this Israel. It's not just about some piece of a region in the world. It's the nations, right? That now... The, the now forgive, repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached to the nations. And Jesus opens the understanding of how to read the Bible, how to see the Bible through all its layers and how to see the Bible through now the suffering and resurrection of Jesus. And he invites them to repent and believe and find life. It's the way to read the Bible that was so important in this moment. And they needed that if they were going to move forward. They needed that if they were going to live this new resurrection life and be rooted in God's story and continue living God's story, not just dwelling on the past, but moving forward. And there's three things that I just want to, like, I'm going to just list them for you. Three things that have helped me understand the scriptures. When I read the scriptures, kinda, I have these kind of three big overarching ideas that are always in front of me. And it's these three things. I read the scripture narratively. Sorry for all the, you know, wise at the end and looking, big looking long words, but narratively, Christologically and missionally. When I read the scriptures, something that has been so helpful to me, and let me tell you, I've been a Christian for like, I don't know, 30 years. But the narratively part just opened up to me like 10 years ago. 10, 12 years ago when I was like, the Bible is such a beautiful big story that God has been writing. And it's writing from creation to new creation with sin and rebellion in the way and shaping a people to be meant for the nations, but but they fail in their rebellion and sin, but Jesus comes in the culmination of that story and his death and resurrection or the, just a pivoting, shifting moment, and then God sends his spirit to empower the church to be his living and local presence until he comes one day and brings everything to this restorative conclusion. Reading the Bible narratively has helped me so much in how to read the scriptures that I don't feel I'm just reading a verse and taking it out of that one verse or that one word or that one passage or that one letter or that one gospel or that one piece of historical literature. It's like, there's this big story. So narratively is one way that has helped me to read the scriptures. The other way is Christologically. What I mean is Jesus. Jesus is the deal. We need to read the scriptures through the life and teachings and sacrificial act and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't our faith, yes, we, we love this book and we read this book, but our faith is based on what? Is, is my faith based in this book or on this book? No. This book informs my faith and is, part of, is the story where I see my faith. But I, my faith is rooted in Jesus. And when I look back and I wonder, how do I, how do I read this? How do I interpret this? How do I understand this? I read it through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of God's purpose and message to us. Leslie Newbegin said, Jesus is the clue for understanding all that is. And the last way I read the Bible is missionally. Because God has a purpose. God's mission is bigger than us. We call him actually, in theological language, they call him the missio dei, the missional God, the God who's on mission, the God who is for the nations, 
the God who loves the world. And when we catch that God's heart for mission, we realize our church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Our church doesn't have some mission all on its own. God's mission has a church. And we, when we read the Bible missionally, we start to see and understand and interpret the scriptures in a way that fits into what God is actively doing in, in our world and in history, right towards new creation. And so as we think about that, here's Jesus. He, he, this moment where he just helps them see the reality of the resurrection, helps them see the fulfillment of the resurrection. And then I want to wrap this up today with these two bookends of this, this amazing scene in, in this Resurrection Day story. And it's really cool because I think it's so important because we can, we can walk away today and say, oh, great, the resurrection is real, and I hope this is the case. We walk away and say, yes, if Jesus rise from, rose from the dead, he's Lord. I, I, want, I want my life to fit into his life. Like we said last week, don't just let Jesus in, let Jesus lead. Don't just let Jesus in, let Jesus lead. So vital, right? And how we read the scriptures is so vital. But I want to leave us today with these kind of two bookends to this scene that is so important. And I want to just show you how, how this gets wrapped up in this moment. Jesus shows up, right? He shows up with them. And the first bookend of this story is peace. He shows up in the middle of like, what's going on? What's happening? I mean, can we believe this? Sure, this happened on the road, on your, on your trip back home guys and and now back here and you're telling us this but can we you know there's chaos right but jesus comes and he stands amongst them in the middle of them and i think that's so appropriate and what does he say peace be with you that's what he says peace be with you that's the first words he says he doesn't say i told you so right he doesn't say i was right he doesn't say guys really He says, peace be with you. And you get a sense of how they're feeling. The message translates, verse 38, is don't let your doubting questions take over. Don't let your doubting questions take over. It doesn't mean that we can't question or bring our minds to the scriptures or to to, to our faith, but it's this moment of like, Jesus is like, don't let your, don't let the fears and doubts and uncertainty and confusion in this moment take over. Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like there's moments where your doubts or your fears take over? You ever feel like you're in a situation, you're like, how do I respond to this? How can I get through this? So let me ask you, where, where do you go for your, when you have doubts and fears? And I don't mean the doubts where we can, you know, sit and dialogue with someone and try and discern that and, and look for some clarity. But those doubts of a, of a, of a circumstance, of a situation, of a, of a moment where it overwhelms us? How, how do you settle those fears? How do you live through those fears? And to be honest, I think in our culture, what, here, I think this is what happens in our culture. We look for a new circumstance. We look for more resources. We look for some kind of achievement that will help us. And it's interesting because I think it's like I don't know if you've ever heard yourself say this or you've said it or felt it or you've noticed it in someone else's story where they're walking through something and they say something like this. They say something like this. When my circumstances change, then I will have peace. When I make more money, 
then I will have more peace. When I have achieved some kind of status or goal in my life, then I will have peace. Or when I remove X or Y from my life, then I will have peace. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we need to be wise and make some of those decisions, but how often do we hope, or is our hope for peace put in those things? And here in this moment, we've all met people who've had those things and, and achieved and accumulated and have, have, have just this brand new circumstance. Maybe they're sitting on a yacht with all the money in the world and their circumstances are changed and their relationships are changed and yet you talk to them and you're like, I still need peace. I still need peace. They get a new job and it's like, it's a good job, but there's something I still need peace about. My neighbor moved, I'm happy, but I still <laughs> need peace. And we've met people who have arrived at some of those things and still struggle with peace. But Jesus, he comes and he stands among them, right? He stands among them, right in the middle of them, and he says, peace be with you. He is the peace giver. He is the source of peace. He is the source of life that we need. And he stands among them, and I love this, in the middle of their confusion, in the middle of their chaos, in the middle of their fears, in the middle of them wondering what is going on, he stands among them and he offers peace. It's his gift. It's his peace he offers. And he says, here, my peace be with you. My peace be with you. And I wonder if some of us, when we think about resurrection, like, yeah, great Easter happened, but there's this, does it mean something for me today and tomorrow? And Jesus says, yes, I, I want to come and stand right in the middle of your life. Don't just let me in. Let me lead. I'm going to come stand right in the middle of your life, and I want to give you peace. I want to give you peace. And he doesn't just leave us with peace. And here's, this is really important to understand, but, but before I say this, let me say this. The disciples, for them, I mean, you could just put yourself in their situation. The one they followed was crucified by the religious leaders and allowed to, orchestrated by Rome. Two groups where they're like, we were the one following this guy. He got crucified. Now there's a rumor that he rose from the dead. Maybe they're thinking, we stole the body. Talk about a moment where they need peace. Talk about a moment where they're like, what are, what are we going to do? Like, not only is the religious leaders are, are, might be after us, the empire might be after us. Our names are going to be shattered in terms of reputation. I mean, these are the real things that are going through their minds in that moment. They're in that mess, and Jesus walks into their mess and says, peace be with you. And it's amazing, because as you read post the resurrection, and you walk through some of the difficult moments that the church goes through, the, the incredible burst and start of the church, the opposition they get from the culture, they pray for the Holy Spirit to give them boldness to speak in that culture. Moments where they, where they are abandoned, they're marginalized. We just read through First Peter a couple of weeks, months ago, and we're like, we see the marginalization they felt. We see that that peace given to them in that day, that Jesus saying, peace be with you, their lives weren't perfect, but they held on tight to Jesus, and Jesus was their peace throughout all those things. We see it happen as the church continues. But here's the, the second bookend, and I'm going to ask the team to come up. We want to close in a moment. It's this beautiful piece in, in verse 49, and it, it wraps up the scene just before Jesus ascends 
into heaven. Jesus says, hey, listen, I am going to send to you what my father promised. I'm sure in that moment they're like thinking, you know, may, may, maybe they completely forgot that Jesus had this conversation with them. You can read about it in John 15 and 16. This conversation where Jesus said, I will leave and I will send another one who is like me, a comforter, God's very own spirit. And Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm, going, to send, I'm going to send what my father has promised. I'm going to send what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Don't leave this place until what my father promised to send you will arrive. Don't leave this place until the Holy Spirit will come and fill you and pour over you. Don't leave this place until this happens. And that is so important to understand in this moment because when we can see what's happening here, Jesus reminds them what he's already told them. And how often do we need to be reminded about what we've already been told or what we already know or what we've already been promised? And Jesus here gives them this reminder. And he says, stay here. And I love it because he, we don't read it right in the, in the words here, but it's kind of behind the surface. You will need what my Father promised to send you. You will need the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this alone. You cannot walk this alone. You cannot be on mission alone. You cannot make disciples alone. You cannot reconcile all the conflict and confrontation that this world brings before you. You cannot do it alone. Don't move an inch without him. Don't move a, a, don't move a mile without the Holy Spirit, without this promised gift. Don't Try to do it alone. You will be ill-equipped for your life. You'll be ill-equipped for your mission. You'll be ill-equipped for this church that I'm starting. You'll be ill-equipped if you don't wait for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you and to empower you. Because God has a mission for you and I. It's not just peace so we can have a better life or peace so we can have a calmer life or peace so we will have less things to worry about. But it's peace in, in the vision he has for you and me, even the vision for our church. And there's a power that he wants to give us to do this, to live this mission, to be his living in local presence, to serve and to minister and to reach out and to love boldly and to risk greatly and to give sacrificially and generously and, and to serve him in all these different ways. And as we read through the book of Acts, Oh man, I'd encourage you, read through the book of Acts and then just take out the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts and ask yourself, what would they have done? They would have been crushed. Read through the book of Acts and just remove the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's over. It's over, end game, done. But as the Holy Spirit, as they waited, you can read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, as they waited and the Holy Spirit came and, and just came over them and empowered them. Right from the first burst where these handful of disciples and then about 40 or 50 in the room are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to speak the message of the gospel in languages they don't even know to people outside their upper duplex in Jerusalem. And people are listening to this and saying, I want in, I want in, I can't believe, how do I do this? How, who could have orchestrated that except the Holy Spirit and his power? And so as we consider this for ourselves, we must consider that the resurrection did not just happen, but these, this, the day continued. And I love these, these bookends of peace, peace and power. Jesus says, my peace I give you. 
And he says, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait anymore. We just need to embrace, trust, put our faith in Christ. And God promises that his spirit will continue to work in us, fuel us, and fill us. And as the day and days continued, these people and us, they continued to experience God's peace and power. And that's a promise for us. When we look back to Easter or resurrection, the promise is we can walk in peace. We can walk in power. Amen? I'm going to invite us right in this moment um, just to respond with the words of this song that the team is going to lead us in. We sang it already this morning, and I think it's just so appropriate. Um, this, this sense of stepping out in faith, sense of allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And so right now, let's just move into this, this brief moment where we just posture ourselves, readying ourselves for the peace that Jesus longs to give us, for the power of the Spirit that he promises us. And if you're here, um, maybe new or fresh to faith, and you're wondering, how do I even start that? I mean, I, I think I want something like that. I just, I encourage you right in this moment to put your trust in Christ. The scripture says, when we come, right? Um, Jesus even said, repentance and forgiveness will be preached to all nations. When we come to Jesus, when we, we say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I, I, I want you to lead my life, I trust you. That moment of decision you're, you're welcoming Jesus into your life and then you're letting him lead you. And there's a promise that his peace and his Holy Spirit power will come fill you. So I'll let you respond in your own words, maybe with the words of this song, maybe in your own prayers um, as, we, as they lead us in this song. Jesus, thank you, God. Bless you, Jesus. Just right now as we pray. If your heart longs for that peace of God, power of God, and your heart longs to allow Jesus to lead, he rose from the dead, and your heart longs to say, I want to allow him to lead all my life, speak into all my life. I want to trust all he says. Just reach out your hand to him, hand to him as we pray. It's an act of trust and surrender and intention. Lord, we thank you that you walk into our mess in the middle of our fears and doubts and chaos, circumstances. Oh God, each of us might have a different set of them right now. But we're so grateful that Jesus, just like he stood among his disciples in the middle of that moment, not afraid to come and stand into our mess, to our maybe confusion, maybe a mix of amazement and confusion. <laughs> oh God, we're so grateful. And we embrace the peace that comes through Jesus, the peace that is beyond understanding, the peace that only you can give. And Lord, we embrace your promised Holy Spirit. We admit and acknowledge right now we could not even be the church today in our age unless you would have sent your Holy Spirit post the ascension of Jesus. We could not be your church because you have designed it this way, that your Holy Spirit 
His very presence and guidance and conviction and teaching would replace the ministry of Jesus with his disciples in a sense. And we embrace the powerful work of your spirit. We thank you for the promise that Jesus reminds us of. And Lord, just as they waited, we yearn just for a, an increased welcome in our lives because you already want to live and move and act. So we say yes to that, Lord. God, may, may we be a witness. May we be part of, um, of the story that you're writing post the resurrection that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. God, we want to be part of that. We want to be part of your mission, your journey. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.